Oh, baby, baby. Listeners, it's your boy Notorious Essa, aka Steve Anderson, aka Cats Out of the Bag. I said that because my cat's in the bag in front of me and I'm jumped out and that's the first thing that popped into my head. Welcome back. Before we started, I wanted to give a quick shout out to something I watched on YouTube. Popular creator, the odds went out, the odds went out. Sorry, I'm saying that wrong, but uh, the link will be in the description of the episode. It's a video about the creative process and how much work goes into it. And as someone who doesn't come anywhere close to that level of commitment, but is trying to create a project on his own and understand the amount of work that goes into finding something to talk about that's worth talking about and putting the effort in to edit it and think about it and add music and on top of everything else. It's interesting so that link will be in there definitely check that out but what I wanted to talk about today is generally when I'm inspired to talk about something it's usually because I've seen something that's either really important or something I think is a really bad argument from somebody who I otherwise respect and part of being in this kind of uh, field that I'm in of research, particularly when it comes to local GOP, local Republican, conservative talking points. Uh, one of the first newsletters I usually get in the morning is Eric Erickson. He is a conservative talk show host out of Georgia. And I try to get as many perspective as possible, and I definitely see Eric Erickson as a fairly conservative voice, and even pro-Trump to the point of voting for him and giving him money, but also was willing to point out when he lost, and those who were trying to perpetuate the big lie were wrong, and calling out the GOP for the embarrassing aspects of the losses of the Georgia special elections. Or Senate. So, I consider him to be a fairly straight shooter, and I feel like his perspective is worth listening to. Now, today, I got his email, and he decided to comment on the new law in Texas in regards to abortions, and I believe this is on his substack. It's entitled you can't trust the narrative on the Texas abortion law. So, of course, I get it. He's pro-life. That's understandable. That's going to be a thing that they're going to defend. Now, it, there hasn't been a lot of defense of this law from large-scale Republican officials because they know exactly what it is. It was never intended to go into effect. It was intended to draw controversy. Much like other bills that are designed to push the limits of Supreme Court case law in regards to Roe v. Wade 
Planned Parenthood versus Casey, and all the other Supreme Court decisions involving uh, abortion. Now, what really struck me about it is that the the crux of his argument is essentially attacking attacking Republican consultants who are, as he says, predisposed to talking pro-life values while privately believing such policies alienate female voters in the suburbs. Now, he says that like it's a bad thing and it's uh, untrue, but it is true, and if you're trying to win over people for elections and you're espousing something that they're opposed to, that is generally a bad thing. Now, as someone who has worked with and has friends who all identify as pro-life in whatever sense that that means to them, I don't think they're, they're not bad people. They're great people. They're wonderful people. They care about children and babies and want the best for them the same way that we all do. But as someone like Eric tries to point out in more black and white terms, it's often the case that when we're talking about this specific issue, and I kind of talked about it a few episodes ago in my in the one episode entitled it was about defunding Planned Parenthood and defunding the police and trying to compare the two ideas, that this very still controversial topic in American politics, one of which a large block of the population may vote for a political candidate solely based on their stance on this topic, both for the quote-unquote pro-life movement and for the quote-unquote pro-choice movement, which, as I'm going to explain in a little bit, I feel like creates a dichotomy that eliminates a bit of nuance. But also, the general idea that the type of law that was passed in Texas, which has thrown a curveball to most of the legal establishment, in my opinion, because of the kind of irresponsibility of its drafting and the sheer complexity that it was designed intentionally to create, that how Eric could believe that this won't end badly is... I'm shocked. And maybe it's the fact that when it comes to in discussions with those who are pro-life, that they believe that any attempt to save the unborn is justified. From a, both a PR perspective of the Republican Party, a political outreach standpoint, and from a policy standpoint, they seem to be locked into a position that a majority of the country does not agree with, but because of the intensity of the support of those who they do agree with, they can't seem to work their way around it. And that's how we get in these situations where instead of trying to find an actual solution to something they care about, it's more theater in the legal system because they know they can use it to their advantage. And it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. Now, it's curious that Eric Erickson talks about the optics of it because as he said in as he said in another newsletter that he published 
He knows that the mainstream media has a quote-unquote pro-choice bias, and they would often put him, a white male, against a female in regards to deciding between whether a policy that involving something that was involving abortion was good or bad. And he understands the optics of this. And look, white man who can't get pregnant is telling the people who can get pregnant what they can do with their bodies. And it's designed to make him look bad. Now, this is where I find a little bit of the hypocrisy to come in. And obviously hypocrisy doesn't really count anymore for anything because everybody's a hypocrite. But the idea that you're so pro-life that you believe that life either begins at conception or in the very beginning stages of human development, that these early stages of zygotes and embryos and fetuses should have legal protections means that optics shouldn't really be your concern. Am I right? And often, you know, when we're talking about the, the mission of what we're doing, if it's important enough, the optics are not going to be your primary concern. But he goes out of his way to point out that this is what the media is already doing. But he knows, and other pro-life people know, that they believe in the sanctity of life. And if they know what the media is doing, why don't they just call them out on their bluff and say that, right? And it's not as if there's a shortage of pro-life GOP women that are willing to talk about it. You could have that kind of conversation all the time. And sure, you can take your swings at the mainstream media when they talk about birthing people and all the other distortions that they do for a more progressive audience, but Obviously, if you're going to make fun of them for using the term birthing people, saying that only women can get pregnant, then you're kind of telling yourself that because only women can get pregnant, really they should be the ones making the decisions about what happens when they're pregnant. Particularly as early as you can get during a pregnancy. And obviously, I am a man. I am physically unable to get pregnant despite what anybody would say. So, I understand that one of the sexes is biologically programmed to do that, and just as a matter of, in my mind, common sense, it makes perfectly logical sense that the person who is pregnant should be the one who decides what happens with the pregnancy. Now, obviously, there are far more complexities involved because, as I... As you come to learn, it's not easy for everyone to get pregnant, and there are attempts, there are miscarriages, there are attempts with um, IVF and other medical procedures to try to help with pregnancy that have implanted eggs that the pro-life movement would consider worthy of legal protections and or people. And yet you never really hear about them. You never really hear about these other situations. And I know what they're going to say is that they're pro-life in any circumstance. 
And I guess for the sake of consistency, sure. But if you're going to do that, what you're essentially saying is I'm ignoring real-life situations where problems can arise for us at a policy and political level. Involving half of the voter base, which usually votes in greater numbers every four years. So, yes, from a PR and policy perspective, if you're pro-life, it would behoove you to try to maximize the reach of your audience. It's not as if when you go around, people are actively saying, I'm pro-abortion, as in I'm pro this medical procedure. It's more so about access to the procedure in the context of control over your own body. And if the pro-life movement, in my mind, wants to be successful in a place like Illinois that's north of I-80 and in a place where there is a large contingent of independent women who may lean one way or the other and having a thoughtful, reasonable stance on the topic could be the difference between winning and losing by a few hundred votes, I think is a relevant conversation to have. Too often, because we live in a, in a world where the political primary dominates our future, it's often the ones who can get the most support from the most passionate and the most involved in the extreme stances. So, it's often you have some pro-life candidates who may endorse wackier or outside of the mainstream opinion ideas on when human conception starts. But I do believe a lot of them believe in good faith that human life is sacred and it's imperative that we provide protections for the unborn. Because when you look at places like China or Iran or Russia or other less great nations where forced abortions from the state, performing them, mind you, happen, it is not as if every context in allows us to just simply say I am pro-choice or pro-life and expect the conversation to just flow naturally. For one thing, one of the, at least in my mind, more recent changes is that the Republican Party, as long as I've known it, has, at least over time, evolved from not having a position on abortion to being a in favor of it as a general right to being against it as the evangelical and religious segment of the party grew to being against it except for cases of rape, incest, and the health of the mother. And that has now essentially morphed into just the health of the mother. As the law in Texas does, which does not allow an exception for rape and incest. And again, a lot of pro-lifers don't like to talk about this part of it because they'll write it off as a smaller segment of these procedures that they're against. But the context of that means that if it's such a small part of the problem to you, then why is it necessary to have it be excluded? Because let's be clear, when it comes to these three exceptions, 
The mother's health is something that no one should be against because no one would want to needlessly hurt a mother who's giving birth or risk her life in the process of it. When it comes to incest, consider the fact that that can be a crime and it can result in an unfortunate set of conditions for the offspring. Yes, obviously. And when it comes to a sensitive topic such as rape, which is a crime, what you're essentially saying is that someone who is a victim of a crime who is carrying the genetic components of the person who assaulted them is not allowed to, under the law, terminate their pregnancy Which is, it's messed up. I don't know how else to describe that. I don't know how you could tell me that situation is there and say, well, you know, life happens for a reason, or, you know, God works in mysterious ways, or some kind of really vague, you know, doesn't matter how a child is conceived. Like, that's, that's just immoral in my mind. And not to mention the fact that bad... PR move and a political stance. You may hold the view personally for yourself, but to say that the state should enforce that on someone else? And if there's pro-life people listening who are in favor of this, or if Eric Erickson is caught on at this point and uh, doesn't accept my characterizations, they'll say that the law doesn't do those things. Let's be clear what it does, right? After six weeks, Anybody who's not the woman, which we'll get to that later, but anybody who is involved in the process of it, getting an abortion, can be sued for a minimum of $10,000, and the way to get around this enforcement system is to not use state officials, but to have private citizens do it. So, in your attempt to promote a culture of life, You've opened up the legal system to private entities suing people involved in what is still, you have to admit, a legal medical procedure that just happens to be in the state of Texas. Where, where in the world are the optics on that ever going to work out in your favor? I just don't see a world where that does. Because it seems a very transparent power play to avoid scrutiny and accountability through the legal system and to break your signal to the most extreme members of the pro-life movement that we'll do whatever it takes to prevent people from accessing this specific medical procedure. But how does that build your brand? How does that make you say this party is welcoming to people because we're going out of our way to flood the legal system with possible baseless claims against possible victims of crimes and unfortunate medical circumstances because we believe in quote-unquote protecting children. It's, in my mind, it's not really pro-life. You know, a real consistent definition of pro-life would be somebody who is against it except in cases of rape, incest, and the mother's health, and also willing to say for any young potential mother who is scared or confused that there should be 
a plethora of options available. Whether that be going to Planned Parenthood or a crisis pregnancy center, where you should receive medically adequate, accurate information. And I just want to stress that I think it's very important that you should always check with medical professionals. And I know that crisis pregnancy centers are often run by volunteers, some of whom have medical training and are licensed medical professionals, and that's fine. But if they're not a licensed medical professional trying to give you medical advice, I would take that with a grain of salt. And if you're looking for religious guidance on the topic, I mean, that's definitely always an option. But one of the constant sticking points of, as Eric Erickson points out, the PR part of it is that most people will try to call the bluff and say that the pro-life movement isn't really pro-life. They're just, they're pro-birth. They're very invested from the beginning of conception to the birth of a child, but after that, the implication is you're on your own. And that may be a unfair characterization, but it's kind of not, because what they're not saying, whoa, 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 it's not as if I don't care about children after they're born. However, if they decide to make the choice to have children, which, again, he said wasn't a choice earlier, but whatever, Let's just skip over that inconsistency that they have to figure out what to do. And that will then dip into people who are thinking that if they're on, if they don't have a job or have maternity leave or have spouse or family that can help support them, they may turn to government assistance. Hell, they may even have a job and family to support them and they still may need government assistance. But the second they need that for their children, they're like, whoa, 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 hold up. We got to save pennies, so, you know, let's just back up a bit here. You got some paperwork to fill out. It's, it just seems like a very consistent betrayal of values. If you believe in small government and pro-family, you would promote a system where people can have children and have financial security to help with having children. If the GOP doesn't actually want that, they want prohibitions on procedures to terminate pregnancy, and they also don't want to help you if you have a child with taxpayer money. It's a very specific gap that their voter base doesn't necessarily either care about because A, they're men, or B, they have the income to have the means to it regardless of state action. Or, in what happens a lot, is that they're just straight up hypocrites and they will advocate for it while having the procedure for someone that they know or are related to or that they're having an affair with you know this the story just repeats itself so the idea that eric erickson is going to try to tell the mainstream media that they're the ones misrepresenting the story when in fact many in the pro-life crowd are very much doing that i think is worth pointing out and i also think it's worth pointing out that if you're a self self-proclaimed conservative who wants Republicans to succeed and you're attempting to spin this law in a way that is beneficial that you could be a little less dishonest in the process. I'm not going to read the entire article. You can go find it for yourself, but it's the last thing in my mind that 
seems to point out the obvious flaws in his argument. The, the ending of the Substack article from today is, quote, Lastly, I would note these Republicans who tell us this is bad politics never seem to suggest an alternative. They were always in favor of babies with their talk and never in favor, favor of babies with their actions. They always say they want pro-life policies until those policies are passed, then they run away from them as fast as possible. Notice they never provide an alternative, and notice also no one really said much of anything after the Texas law passed. Everyone got to presume it would immediately be struck down so that they would not have to deal with it. But the Supreme Court has given it a temporary reprieve, and a lot of people are exposing themselves as not really pro-life as they claimed. Eric Erickson asked why no one proposes an alternative. That when quote-unquote pro-life policies are passed, they try to run away from them because of the politics of it. Again, if the PR is what matters, Eric, then you should know better. But if you're sticking with your I'm pro-life consistently principles here, then I guess I'll explain to you why there are, in fact, alternatives that exist that are very obvious, but I'm guessing you wouldn't want to do because you're well aware of the culture that's already been established, and you're not willing to let go. And you're also not willing to admit what's actually happening. Does Eric Erickson know the number one reason why women are often cited for terminating a pregnancy? You can check the survey data, and there's multiple studies from different times, from the National Institutes of Health, from Kaiser Health Foundation. And you can look at the pro-life websites, too, if you want, but um, not all of their medical sightings are, I would say, necessarily the most accurate. But most survey data says that if they're terminating a pregnancy, what are the primary reasons? And... If you do a quick Google search, and this is just kind of a basic summary of research collected from 2008 to 2010, and obviously the recession may factor in here, but these reasons hold up over multiple studies over time, the most common cited reasons are, at 40%, not financially prepared. At 36%, bad timing, not ready or unplanned. At 31%, partner-related reasons, including the relationship is bad or new, she doesn't want to be a single mother, but her partner is not supportive, does not want the baby, is abusive, or is the wrong guy. At 29%, need to focus on her other children. At 20%, interferes with educational or vocational plans. At 19%, not emotionally or mentally prepared. At 12% health-related reasons, which includes concern for her own health, the health of the fetus, the use of prescription or non-prescription drugs, alcohol, and tobacco. 12% want to provide a better life for a baby than she can provide. 7% not independent or mature enough for a baby. At 5% influences from family or friends. At 4% doesn't want baby to place the baby for adoption. So, and I'll provide this link in the episode description as well but when you look at those examples the top one is financial reasons children are expensive that's a fact of life food 
diapers, time off work, which for many people, they may not have access to maternity leave. The United States does not currently provide paid maternity leave as a matter of employment law. It should be done at a national level. The Republicans had control of, the, of all three branches of government in 2017. They also had the House, the White House, and Congress. They could have passed it, but they didn't. They wasted their time on other things. And they continue to oppose it for numerous reasons. If the financing of children is the main concern, then the clearest example would be to provide a basic income for parents. Honestly, it would be best for everybody, but if you want to create a pilot program system in which you're able to see how it's best to support mothers, young mothers who want to have children but are not financially able to, then you would logically assume that there should be some program for it, which we do have. We have the SNAP benefits, commonly known as food stamps. We have the WIC programs, Medicaid for children, other programs for young unexpected mothers or mothers who are struggling, and of course numerous charitable organizations that are out there. But the need far outstrips the supply in most cases. You know, many people may have access to good paying jobs and partners and family that are able to help, but a lot of people aren't. And a lot of people may find want to, but when you do the math, it just doesn't seem fair to your potential child or to other children you already have. One thing that I've personally called for is monthly child tax credits. You know, the thing that the Biden administration is doing right now as part of its economic recovery plan, providing monthly tax credits as cash injections into families that need them. You know, I think that's actually helpful and practical and has real world effect and is related to the number one and also other multiple reasons for why women may not want to have children or may want to terminate a pregnancy. But sure, is Eric Erickson talking about that? No. Not at all. I'm quoted an article from the Daily Caller entitled, Analysis, Americans Support Monthly Child Tax Credits, Why Don't Republicans in Congress? Um, again, the link will be in the description in which you can read about the discussion of public support for monthly child tax credits, in which I'm quoted as saying, Instead of building this giant program, we can cut out the bureaucracy and cut out the red tape. Steve Anderson, a Republican activist from Illinois, told the DCNF in a phone interview, The government's spending money anyway, and it's not spending it efficiently. If it's going to spend, it might as well do it in a way that actually helps its citizens. And again, it goes on to talk more about other proposals from Senators 
Josh Hawley, and from, crucially, Mitt Romney, who has probably one of the best plans out there to help with this exact situation. But as we all know, Mitt Romney is persona non grata in GOP circles these days. Curious that the former presidential nominee, someone that most entrusted with the highest nation in the office, now believe is a traitor to America because he dared to criticize President Trump. So you know his plans go nowhere. But will they go through with it? Or will the old welfare queen part of the zombie Reaganomics come in? And to be clear, Ronald Reagan still has a large presence in the GOP mindset, even though with Trump we've clearly thrown that process out. Even though Trump also just stole his slogan, as we know, Ronald Reagan's slogan was, let's make America great again, and Trump's slogan was, make America great again. Couldn't even really be original, but of course, that all seems to fit. But I digress. Eric, the reason political consultants are concerned about bad laws and bad politics like this is because their job is to try to help their candidates win. And when you do something that's both bad law and bad politics, that kind of goes against your entire job description. And I know you may fancy yourself to be a political expert, but I think your pro-life views may be clouding your judgments. I think your expectation of what suburban women actually think is far less than what it actually is. And considering the fact that you predicted that the GOP would hold on to the seats when they didn't, largely turning on those same people that you claim that they don't understand, makes me think you don't understand the PR optics of it, nor the actual political implications of it. And you know what? If your overriding concern, as you said, is that it saves one life, even if it's bad politics, if it saves one life, that's what matters. Which, when in 2020, in the height of the pandemic, when Democratic governors were trying to cobble together some sort of system to help control the pandemic, the idea was mocked that if you surrender your liberties, if it saved even one life, it was worth it. But when it comes to passing dumb, bad laws in Texas that create unnecessary legal complexity and PR nightmares, it saves one life, so it was worth it. It didn't save any lives. You have no proof it saved any lives. You're just trying to defend something because you're pro-life, and you're not really pro-life, you're just pro-birth. No rape, no incest, no financial assistance. Can't terminate the pregnancy, and as soon as you give birth, you're on your own. That's exactly what's going to happen. And you know that as much as this wants to be talked about in a non-discriminatory manner, there is a racial component to this. This particular restriction will 
heavily fall on people who have the least financial means to do so. And that can include people of color, poor, rural whites. The people who are least able to afford this exact problem is who you're hurting here. You're not hurting those suburban women who are able to travel and go places and have it be resolved, but you are pissing them off because they do care about those other women who don't have those opportunities to do so. Because of course you can't think that far ahead. All you can think about is stop abortion. Stop the medical procedure at any cost. Doesn't matter how bad it looks, how bad the law works, how unscientifically sound it is, and how you think any backlash to it is just simply fake news or a narrative that no one understands. When all you're doing is just enabling Democrats around the country to paint you as the next Handmaid's Tale. And any other person that tries to say pro-life people need to be held more accountable, they can shout it down. As rhinos and fake Republicans, David French. Perfect example. People like Eric want to tell women what to do and they also want to not be told what to do they want the government to stay away from them but want the government to be involved in someone else's life and if they're saying because that's involving another person i.e the sperm meeting egg or zygote or embryo or fetus or wherever you've drawn the line when a human being has been created. Here's a question for you, Eric. When does the social security check come? Not check, but social security card. When do we send the social security card? Do they have to have the name picked out at six weeks, at eight weeks? I'm curious, I'm just curious. How, how far in advance should we just get the paperwork started? Because if we can get it started right away, if the second we get a positive pregnancy test, we go to the hospital, bam, let's get it checked out right before they begin. Why waste time? Why wait the whole nine months for an actual birth to happen if we're just going to say that say that all the unborn are people and deserve the same legal protections? Let's just get it started the second it happens. You know you can't do that. You know that's essentially taking away agency from women who by biological standards are the only sex capable of pregnancy. So it should largely be up to them how that process goes. And before you come at me with whatever, when it comes to the legal protection of the unborn, there are circumstances where, you know, in late developments, if there's been an assault that results in a miscarriage. There have been murder charges levied against people for killing an unborn child. So there is a legal structure and concept out there for protection of the unborn. No one's saying that the unborn should have protections. But I often think that the pro-life crowd very much envisions that the very blown up graphic and I often think distorted images that you see at these pro-life protests are, you know, 
the, the, the whole it's happening as late as possible in the process is that's what it has to be and it's, it's clearly not most of it happens in the very beginning of pregnancy and sure enough at six weeks he just managed to cut it off to the point where as it's very much pointed out most women don't even know they're pregnant so I don't know how you get around that but if it saves one life I guess it matters it's not going to save any lives it's just going to inconvenience everybody it's just going to get caught up in the legal system and it's going to remind every woman across the country who's skeptical about the Republican Party that when push comes to shove they will put the most extreme laws in power and defend them no matter how bad the politics, the law, or the PR is. The pro-life crowd can be very disingenuous at times. Hey, if you're against it, except for rape and incest, and you're willing to provide financial assistance for children, and provide help maternity leave, so that people, so that the main reason people often cite as not being able to have children can possibly have children, then yeah, let's talk about it. But that's not what's happening. That's not what's happening, Eric Erickson. That's not what the pro-life crowd is doing. The pro-life crowd, as I heard in a funny anecdote, which again, I will find and link in the description, is about that curious question I mentioned earlier. What happens when, for example, in an IVF treatment, there are fertilized eggs that go unused. And when questioned about it, a representative from a story that you can read later said, doesn't really matter because they're not inside of a woman, so it's not our concern. And that kind of gives the ball game away, doesn't it? If you believe life begins at conception or in those really early stages, and you're very much in favor of these treatments, which are great and help people who may have challenges giving birth do so, but you're very much willing to ignore that in the pursuit of having children, but you're very much willing to focus a lot of your time and energy in a legal framework to prevent people from accessing specific medical procedures that involving terminating pregnancy. There really is no good, honest defense of this law. As it stands with current Supreme Court precedent, which as of now says that you should not have any unreasonable burdens to access, providing a vigilante civil lawsuit system, which you notice how they didn't say you could sue the mothers or the women who are getting the procedure done, but you could sue everyone else involved. It's curious why if abortion is, in a very extreme sense, as some pro-lifers say, murder, that the women who are getting the procedure done, who are making the choice, are never the ones culpable. It's the staff around them that is doing it that's the problem. It's not the person who has the agency to make this decision. And you know why they don't do that, because A, it's wrong, both morally and factually, but B, it's a PR problem. Which again, Eric knows all too much about.
But all this is, is just an attempt to control a specific set of people without saying so, openly. There are certain people we don't want to have the ability to terminate their pregnancy. Because if you really were in favor of a true culture of pro-life, pro-children atmosphere, you would be pro-sexual education. And very often, any attempts to talk about sexual education at all are met with very high resistance levels from conservative or religious parents in any sense of the word. And as, as in Illinois, often bad distortions of actual legislation proposed or teaching methods. They don't want us to have access to contraceptives. They don't want us to talk about any of that. It's abstinence only. And don't get married or don't have children until you get married. That's it. But two life lessons. As if you have no other agency or other choices or other advancements around to allow you to have any kind of freedom or choice in your own life. It's a very specific way of controlling people that's marketed as somebody please think of the children. As you know, I'm not a medical doctor, not a medical professional. My understanding is that depending on where you live, and the circumstances, most abortions occur in the early stages of pregnancy, and the later stages of development involve greater chances of survival outside of the womb. And as medical technology advances, the chances of survival for younger and younger stages of development continually improve, which is great and an amazing medical feat. But it just seems to me that if the pro-life movement in America really thought that this plus the dropping rate of abortions in America isn't the result of just people seeing the struggles of young mothers plus access to contraception and health methods, if they really think it's simply just about a simple just say no attitude to it, you're going to lose this key block of voters for reasons that have no real practical value in the political sphere. Unless you live in a place where the pro-life crowd is very dominant as an entire part of the electorate, it does not help you to have these type of laws in place because they're bad laws and they're bad politics and they're bad PR. And someone like Eric Erickson, who gets nationally broadcast, who is clearly smart and knows the system and knows how laws work, should know better. But very often, I think, maybe not always intentionally, but sometimes with intention, people who consider themselves to be quote-unquote pro-life and really believe in protection for the unborn are so focused on ending this specific 
type of procedure and creating all the legal frameworks to stop it while maybe gesturing or giving lip service to actual solutions that help because it may involve spending money or talking about sex and contraceptives because that doesn't fit their moral lifestyle. Well, as the old expression goes, facts don't care about your feelings. So if we're going to have a conversation about what we're going to do to help drop this thing that you really don't agree with in America, which as of now is still a woman's right to have, then let's talk about real solutions. Let's talk about universal basic income and child tax credits. Let's talk about access to contraception and planning and sexual health health and well-being and wellness classes. Let's express to people that it's okay to focus on yourself and not necessarily be pressured into having children before you believe you're ready. And it's okay based on the circumstances that if it's early enough in the pregnancy that if you need to make that kind of choice that you have the right to do so and that's between you and your doctor and those that you consider important. Safe, legal, and rare was always the expression used by the Democrats in the 90s and it makes sense, doesn't it? You want it to be safe procedures, obviously. You want it to be legal because there are circumstances that totally justify its existence. And that you want it to be rare in that because of the moral anguish and complexities that are involved in it, that people shouldn't necessarily be forced into doing it because they can't afford to or feel scared or feeling afraid. And if those are the biggest reasons for why women are choosing to make that choice, you can't honestly say that I'm in favor of limiting it and providing no backup option. You can't access the procedure, but I'm not going to help you take time off work. I'm not going to help you financially. It's not in my interest to do so. And I'm not going to help you try to get contraceptives or understand how sex works because my moral background doesn't allow it. But often those same people, if they have money, they totally blow it off. And of course, they supported Donald Trump, who, I don't know if it's ever been proven, but I'm pretty sure has in fact paid for multiple procedures of that kind, if you know what I'm talking about. But of course, the pro-life movement threw that out the water. And the reaction to COVID and the medical procedures has made many quote-unquote pro-life people expose that they're, as Eric Erickson said, not really pro-life. Again, the pro-life, pro-choice dichotomy often forces us into this very binary exception. And as I kind of pointed out earlier, if the standard position in most of the Republican Party was they were against abortion except for cases of rape, incest, and the mother's health, Ideologically, it may have been more consistent to say you can only be against it for mother's health because, you know, the other cases might result in a child being born without the death of the mother. But again, if you're from the position of other people understanding that 
that's not necessarily the most optimal way and can provide more trouble than good. You would have to be pro-choice by that very definition. As in, if I am the victim of assault, and that if a woman is a victim of assault and gets pregnant as a result of that result, they very much have the right to choose to terminate that pregnancy if they want to or not. That's the whole point. That person should not be forced to do that. That is psychological torture for many, many people. And based on that, many people who consider themselves pro-life just sort of show themselves that they're not. I mean, who's, how could you be against life or choice, right? What, what it breaks down to is, are you for or against people having the most optimal control over their sexual health and reproductive rights? And, you know, it should go for men and women, but since, again, women are the ones that can get pregnant, they largely have the largest say in what should happen. And that should include access to information about sexual health and wellness, about birth control, about responsible planning, about access to financial resources if they decide to have children. And, of course, the option to have every medical procedure available to them that they need. Because if we really wanted to be a pro-life culture, we would do everything in our power to say, if you want to have a child, here's every financial, legal, moral, and economic incentive to do so. It would come from the government, it would come from the private sector, it would come from charity, it would come from everybody. But that's not what everybody wants. Some people just want to control women. Some people have, in my mind, a misguided view of when human life actually begins. And they have arbitrary definitions of when life is precious and when it isn't. The best thing that you could do if you are a Republican in a state where abortion is legal and popular We'll say, I don't know, Illinois, is to tell pro-life people that if they want to have a real effect on stopping it, it's not about standing outside and protesting and the giant graphic pictures and creating these crazy legal systems to try to stop it from happening. It's a culture of hearts and minds. It's a culture of providing the kind of support that people actually need. Not, you know, a table with some baby clothes and some pamphlets. It's going to take money. It's going to take effort. It's going to take coordination between the private sector, state, local, and federal governments to help create a culture where women who choose to get pregnant have every resource available to help with it because it is in theirs and society's interest. That's not what the pro-life crowd often claims to want, or actually wants, and Eric Erickson knows that. Thus, when you make a half-handed attempt to defend the law, as he did in his newsletter, what you expose yourself as is someone who says, I'm willing to have 
the government step in and create problems for things I don't like, that I am opposed to actions that will actually solve the problem I have. What you're doing there isn't trying to solve the problem, you're trying to use controversy and leverage power. And you know what? Lots of people do that, and they do it all the time. And as you probably called out, it is a bit of a grift where we're going to fight for pro-life laws, but we know they're not going to go into effect. We raise money and the whole cycle starts over again. So why do we keep doing the theater, Eric? Why is there so much optics in PR about it? Why aren't we just taking an all-of-the-above approach to doing it on the things that work? Why are so many people obsessed with absence-only education? and blocking access to specific medical procedures. Eric, why is that the focus for what is basically the entire GOP? You tell me. You tell me what the PR optics of it. Again, all reference material will be in the episode description. Thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. Quick update, uh, this actually happened while I was recording. Um, I got an email just now. And again, forgive me for kind of clumsily doing this, but it's all happening so fast. So this is from Reason, Reason the website, reason.com. It says here, so either you, not me, because I didn't do it, but or an avid or curious fan have asked for you to claim your space on Reason, the social podcast platform. Upon claiming you have access to the best community engagement, comments, likes, and live chat with your listeners. So, you know I claim that. So, if you head on over to Reason Podcast, you should be able to find my podcast along with all the other podcast services that are included, which involves Anchor, Spotify, and all the other ones that are there. You can find this on my website, NotoriousSA.com. Find links on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. I'm around. Throw me some money. Could be helpful. Till the next time, my friends. Peace.